Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to the April 2014 CTSS quiz. Ten excellent cases, and let's see how well you did, or more importantly, hopefully we can share some information with you. In this case, the patient history of GI bleed, and I asked for the best diagnoses. When you look very carefully, what you can see on both the coronals, views both with straightforward coronal and with MIP is about a 15 millimeter vascular lesion in the proximal jejunum just past the level of the ligament of trites. Now you can go through what this lesion could be if the patient had renal cell carcinoma. It could be metastasis. I guess that's a possibility, but that wasn't the history. This could be a carcinoid tumor. They're vascular or a gist tumor. And carcinoid was not one of the choices. This was a gist tumor. It's interesting with picking up a lot of smaller gist tumors as patients who present with GI bleeding, and those lesions are very vascular. When we pick up gist tumors, usually they're relatively necrotic and hypovascular. So this is a great case of a gist tumor. Lymphoma would be a consideration for a small bowel tumor, but those are hypovascular. This doesn't look like angiodysplasia. And truthfully, if I gave you a history of renal cell carcinoma, metastasis would indeed be a consideration. This patient was post-distal pancreatectomy and splenectomy for a neuroendocrine tumor of the pancreas, and I want to know what the best diagnosis is. What you can see is a fluid collection left up a quadrant, there's stranding, and there's haziness in the mesentery. And I guess this could be considered a normal postoperative finding. We do get inflammation classically post-distal pancreatectomy and splenectomy. This surely isn't a recurrent tumor. I guess you could consider an abscess. But we are seeing here, and this appearance stayed for a while, is this was an omental infarct with some fluid. We have been seeing omental infarcts, particularly in patients with pancreatic surgery. And in patients with distal pancreatectomies and splenectomies, we have seen several cases of that over the last few months. This is a great case, and I asked you what the most likely diagnosis is. The key findings, of course, on the 3D imaging is the left ventricle. Look at the left ventricular cavity. You can see that outpouching, which is then appreciated on the axial views. And this is a classic example of a left ventricular aneurysm. If you said pseudoaneurysm, I guess that would be a consideration as well. But this was probably due to a prior myocardial infarction. Look how the myocardium is thinned at that point. You can see the chamber, the opacification, very nicely seen. This patient had chest pain, and the study was done to rule out the section of pulmonary embolism. And you could think about those things. We think about dissection, and we think about pulmonary embolism. You can think about pneumonia. But when you look carefully, particularly in the sagittal view, you see the soft tissue around the aorta literally beginning at the level of the left subclavian artery. Look at the axial image. This is a classic appearance of an intramural hematoma. Intramural hematomas typically are due to small ulcerations into the wall, and the ulceration here was in the arch. Beautiful example. With intramural hematomas, patients are typically managed conservatively. Takayashu's aortitis can cause thickening of the patient's aorta, but usually it's great vessels, left subclavian specifically, but this is not the appearance of that. It's just way too extensive. In this case, I mentioned the patient has Cushing's, and what's the best diagnosis? 
Well, what you see in the axials in the 3D is a large mass in the right adrenal bed. It's vascular. There aren't many choices. When I say Cushing's, you better be thinking about adrenal carcinoma. Pheos don't present with Cushing's. Lymphoma doesn't. Adenomas typically a smaller lesions. If you're thinking about a lesion that's vascular and this large, you better be thinking, as in this case, what it was, a primary adrenal carcinoma. About half of carcinomas present with symptoms, and the symptoms typically will be Cushing's. And this was the case. Now, obviously, if you looked only at these images, if I told you this was a renal mass, you would believe me. So it's a bit tricky with only axial images, just something to keep in mind. This case, I asked you for the best diagnosis. And when you look carefully, what you're seeing is a large tumor left up a quadrant displacing bowel, displacing liver and spleen, and it's fat density with some minimal stranding. It's not a cyst. Mesenteric cysts can displace things, but they're water density. And sclerosis mesenteritis has haziness, small nodes in calcification, and a mental infarct is dense and doesn't have this kind of mass effect typically. This is a classic example of a liposarcoma. You see the stranding and haziness. That means liposarcoma and not a simple lipoma. This patient has hepatitis C, and what's the best diagnosis? Without even looking, if I see a mass in a patient with hepatitis C, I'm thinking hepatoma. And yes, this patient could have a metastatic neuroendocrine tumor or angiosarcomas are so rare. And if the patient was young enough, hepatoblastoma might be considered. But here we're dealing with multiple hepatic lesions. And you look at the dominant mass, extensive neovascularity, extensive hypervascularity. This is classic for hepatoma. No if butts and maybes. The liver is underlying cirrhotic. There's another lesion in the left lobe. Very pretty example about the use of MIP imaging. In this case, I asked you for the key vascular abnormality. And the reason I say key is there is a small splenic artery aneurysm seen on the coronal views. The patient, uh, however, shows the key finding being a large right renal artery aneurysm over two centimeters. Remember, at this size, you're probably going to get embolization. The study here is not showing vasculitis or fibromuscular dysplasia or hypolipidemia syndrome, whatever that might be. Beautiful example of a right renal artery aneurysm, and they will typically be repaired at this size. In this case, I've asked you what the best diagnosis for the vascular liver lesion is. And when you look carefully, if you only look at the image on your left of the liver, you say, gosh, this looks like perfusion changes because they're kind of wedge-shaped or it's kind of weird, one or the other. Now when you look at the chest images, you say, wait a second, where's the SVC? The SVC is occluded. That's the key finding. When you have SVC occlusion and when you see a vascular lesion in the falciform ligament, it is a hot spot due to collateral flow from SVC. And this is the classic hot spot with SVC occlusion. Uh, it's not metastatic disease. It's not a primary tumor. You have to be able to recognize it. It's very important to recognize it because sometimes you don't have the chest component of the exam. You only have the abdomen. Interestingly, with um, the hot spots, they often become quickly isodense on venous phase imaging. This case was referred to as a renal cell carcinoma. But when you look carefully, there is a large mass involving the right kidney but it's perirenal. So there's no way it's clear cell or papillary. Could this be metastatic melanoma, subcapsular space, perirenal space? Indeed a possibility. 
But in this patient with no history of melanoma, the best diagnosis was B-cell lymphoma. Beautiful example of peri and pararenal space involvement. The kidney is displaced but not invaded. Just a spectacular example. A bit unusual in this case is lack of nodes or contralateral involvement. So there we go. There's 10 terrific cases. I hope you got all 10 of them right. More importantly, hopefully you've learned at least one thing from each case. And we'll set up another set of cases, and we'll see you again next month. Take care.